We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. So as many of you know, there is a storytelling tradition in the Christian church. And one of the forms that that tradition often takes is called the testimonial. And sometimes, often, perhaps the most commonly known form that the testimonial takes is the conversion story. So probably either you've w witnessed one of these or you've read about it, you've seen it in a movie, in which a person tells the story of their own conversion or perhaps their story of converting someone else. Testimonials are often given after a mission trip, for example. <coughs> but outside those dominant groups, so for example in the United States, across the spectrum of Christian churches, so on the edges and the margins outside of those dominant groups, other stories have always been told. Stories of groups and peoples, individuals, coming to seeking a literal freedom, stories of individuals, groups, communities seeking out a metaphorical freedom. So within this storytelling tradition in the Christian church, there has been a lot of creativity. So what we are hoping to do here at Common Thread, as we do in our deconstructing and reconstructing, we'd like to rediscover, rethink, renew this tradition of storytelling. So I put a call out. And um, as you have noticed over these last couple weeks, we've been talking about what Doug referred to today as growth and consolidation. So rethinking how that process works, how that looks. And um, I put a call out for stories, and three people have responded. And they have been brave enough to be willing to go first. They are the vanguard of our storytelling. So we're, we'd like to do this today, and as you listen to these stories, I hope and they hope, we all hope, you'll be thinking of your own stories. Um, the only real direction we as a group for this first round came up with was the notion of stakes. So we're not looking to tell uh, testimonials along conversion lines, not surprisingly. We are not, uh, generally speaking, that kind of church. So when we talk about stakes, we're talking about stories that in being told are not quite finished. Maybe they are telling a story that for which the outcome isn't quite yet certain. Maybe some changes afoot, but it's not quite guaranteed whether it's going to go well or whether it's not going to well going to go well so there are stakes for the storyteller but there's also a sense in which this story hasn't been consolidated yet as one of the foundational stories in your life as you know most of us get up every morning on a trajectory of some kind of life narrative that gets us out of bed every day. Um, but those stories, they grow and they consolidate and they change. So these storytellers today are not only telling stories that have some stakes for them personally, but in the telling to a beloved, trusted, confidential community, 
also there's some kind of moment of getting it off your chest. So with only that introduction, I would like to ask Jeff and Lena and Maria to come forward and to tell their stories. All right, good morning. So I got the short straw to go first. So uh, so it's uh, imagine the year 2006, and all of my dreams had come true. I had married my college sweetheart. We had three little healthy kids. Uh, we lived in a big house in North Raleigh. I was a good practicing Catholic at St. Francis of Assisi Church. Uh, I was the lead physician of a prominent pediatric practice, and I had all my student loans paid off. I was living the good life, and it was literally killing me. One day, one of my nurses came up to me and said to me in that mom voice, you know that mom voice, she said, if you don't make an appointment to see the doctor, I'll make it for you, and I'll take you there myself. And we sat down, and she sort of reviewed to me that I was pale and had been coughing for six months, that I'd lost a ton of weight, and I was dragging through my day. And the reason that I didn't realize is because I was seeing 40-plus patients a day. I was raising three little kids and dealing with a wife that was struggling. So when I went home to that wife to tell her about that little encounter, she said, have you been sick? I hadn't noticed. When I told my partners about this, they said, well, if you end up with something like cancer, you're not going to be the lead physician anymore, right? And that was a wake-up call. So long story short, I, had, I was diagnosed with something called sarcoidosis, which is an autoimmune disease. Uh, it was treated, and I've been in remission for a long time. But it set me on a path. Within a few months, I had left that practice and joined another one. Within a few years, I got divorced and left my wife. Now, as I said, I was a good Catholic, and good Catholics do not get divorced. And it kind of broke me. And 13 years later, I'm still reeling from that. Sorry. <laughs> So, um, where was <laughs> Good Catholics don't get divorced, right? So, so that led to the spiral of leaving the faith, as you would. And as I was going through life, I started to recognize over the years that perhaps I didn't like my job very much. I went into pediatrics to help kids get better. And over the decades, every year, it seemed like kids were getting sicker and sicker and sicker more obesity, more mental health illnesses, all the things that you all know that are going on. And so last year, I gave up practicing medicine. And so like I started this story. If you'd asked me who I was, I would have told you that I was a husband, a Catholic, a physician. Well, I stand before you none of those things today. And so a part of me has kind of died and I have to figure out what to do 
to find the next version of myself. So not too long ago, one of my kids was struggling, and he needed friends. And for some reason, I got in my head that he needed a church youth group. I really don't know where that came from. <laughs> but so I started asking people, what's the most unchurchiest church you can think of? <laughs> and someone directed me to North Raleigh Community Church, which, if you don't know, is what Common Thread was called when it was on Ray Road many years ago. So I took my son to youth group, and I didn't want to drive home because it was kind of far, but I didn't really stay. But I, so I said, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll just stay. So I wandered down to the, the sanctuary, what the words I would have known as a, as a Catholic, but you walked in, and I did what I do, which is walk in, go to the back row, cross my arms, put my head down, scowl, and say, all right, we'll see what this clown has to say. And to my surprise, the preacher man, as he called himself, said some things that kind of made sense. So over the time that I kept taking my son to youth group, I kind of kept showing up and listening. Before too long, I kind of made a habit out of it. Now, over the years, that pattern has come and gone over the years. But every time that I poke my head back in and say, I wonder what that preacher man's talking about, I always find it relevant, and it always draws me back in. One of the things that I remember him teaching me, as he did today, is about how to meditate. And so as I started to do that, it was my understanding that that practice would teach me how to hear the quiet whispers of God. And I thought to myself, I'll give this a try. And as I did it, I realized I'm really good at this. I got this thing down. I'm a natural. Because when I meditated, I didn't hear any whispers. I heard through a megaphone. God was screaming at me. And the things he screamed at me were things like, you're messing up. What is wrong with people? How dare they not listen to you? You're a pediatrician. You know what tell them to do. They should do it. What's wrong with this woman? Doesn't she know that you know what's best for this family? If she would just listen to you, everything would work out. Over the years, I recognized that was not the voice of God. <laughs> Perhaps that was my personality, my type, my shadow side, whatever word you want to use. So I've had the fortune this past year, as I told you, I took a break from working, and I got to have some downtime. What's the word you used? Seasons of consolidation. There you go, season of consolidation. So... Uh, that has helped quiet that megaphone and has gotten me listening to that inner whispering. And it has led me to a couple of things that I wanted to share with you. The first one is this. You've spent more than a decade trying to reform a relationship. And every time you do it, whenever it gets serious, you get scared and you run away. So before you inflict yourself on another human being, perhaps you need to spend some time working on how to be in a relationship. So this Christmas, I bought myself a gift. And it was what's called an aura ring. Now, an aura ring, if you don't know, is um, like a Fitbit that you wear on your finger, right? It measures your heart rate, your sleep rate, and all this sort of thing. And I, not being very jewelry savvy, ordered it for my middle finger, or my, not my middle, my ring finger, right? So I get it. 
and I look down and I go, shit, left hand, what am I going to do, right? And I put it on my right hand, it's weird, I don't, so I didn't wear it for a long time. And then I, as this last month, I recognized, well, you know, you bought the thing, you want to use it. And I, it came to me that perhaps what I could do when people ask me, are you married, is to say, tell them a little bit about the fact that I am now in this season focusing on me instead of relationships. And it's a nice reminder of me if I'm in a bar to maybe not hit on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the other thing that, that has, uh, has come to me is this notion of how to help young people. So I have found that that core how to help young people get better is still much my calling in life. But it looks a little different. Instead of being the authoritarian, this is how you live your life, perhaps a little shift. Perhaps maybe being more of a mentor, more of someone as a guidance. So what I'm trying to do now is think more on the lines of life coaching for kids, teaching them how to do the fundamentals of life, how to eat and sleep and breathe, and then I hope in long term to create support groups that kids can do this together so they can work together on solving this problem. So I have no idea if this plan is going to work out or not. But I do think that perhaps I'm on a good uh, path because I believe, as the saying goes, it takes someone to die and be reborn to find the kingdom of God. Okay. A year ago, almost exactly, I had a nervous breakdown that I affectionately call the great unraveling. I unraveled in the wake of a new mental health diagnosis, complex PTSD, for those of you following along at home, that, shall we say, gave me an opportunity to reckon with some deep and long-standing internal stuff. Basically, my parents believed they had a mandate from God to break my will, my birthright was a sense of fundamental worthlessness, and to cope, I constructed a whole bunch of inner machinery. I constructed a whole bunch of inner machinery that basically collapsed my existence to two permissible states. Flawless competence in all the things, or essentially invisible. I didn't know how to function without brutalizing and terrorizing myself all the time, and when this diagnosis made it apparent to me that that's what I was doing, I couldn't do it anymore, and I stopped functioning. Early on in the process of trying to figure out a new way to function, I got an unexpected gift. A former roommate of mine returned to me some things that she had had of mine for almost 20 years. And among these things was a copy of a letter I had written to my parents in 2001 after I'd come out to them and it had gone not well. I didn't remember this letter and I didn't remember specifically what I'd said, but in light of recent personal events, I was pretty curious to see what was in it. Yikes. 
I'd had a lot of compassion for my parents when I came out, so I wasn't really expecting to see anger or hostility, but the love that pervaded those pages horrified me and filled me with shame. How sick, I thought, did I have to be to say to my parents earnestly that I was grateful for their influence and that I yearned from the depths of my heart to be in real fellowship and communion with them. Well, my current perspective on this involves zero pathology, but how I got from there to here is the best part. Early on in the unraveling, I threw myself into learning everything I could about complex trauma. I was gonna fix the parts of me that were broken and get better. Well, I learned that complex trauma mostly manifests in terms of deep and permanent personality changes. <laughs> and as it became increasingly obvious that basically everything I knew about who I was was a byproduct of trauma, this idea of fixing the things seemed a little less optimistic. However, instead of turning toward despair, some new insights started to crystallize. What if all of the harm that had done to me that was situated in my personality was like my Enneagram type? What if it wasn't really me? What if it was false self stuff from which I could work to disidentify? And this project of fixing my shattered ego that might be pointless anyway wasn't really the thing. That changed everything. Being able to see the ego prison I'd built for myself in all of its hideous totality became my way out, or at least it did, when I stopped externalizing, turned around to embrace all the shit as my shit, and let it stop mattering that I didn't deserve any of it. Just embracing my misery with welcome and acceptance turned my complex trauma into a gift. It also immediately made me a thousand times less miserable. <laughs> when I wrote that letter to my parents, I didn't truly know how to love them or me or anybody. But what I said to them was not evidence of sickness. It was evidence of wholeness I hadn't yet manifested. Because from where I stand, it's hard for me to feel anything but grateful for their influence. And I do yearn from the depths of my heart to be in real fellowship and communion with them. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know if it's possible. But the warm, patient, spacious expectancy that has filled all of the places in me where my need to control used to be is unlike anything I have ever experienced or even could have imagined. And I wonder what will happen. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Switch. Oh. Hello. Yeah. You got me. So um, today, 
is March 19. Ma just before I start talking, I'm going to read because I'm at the end of a cold and I um, I have fuzzy brain, so I have to <laughs> have some something keep me in line. So March 19, 2020, exactly three years ago, the state declares a stay-at-home order mandating that all residents stay at home except to go for essential job or essential needs. The felt beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, a globally felt pain experience, it seemed that the world came to a full stop. But with a full stop came a deep quiet, no traffic noise, only birds singing, no social interactions, or empty talk, just talk that mattered. A call back to ourselves, a time to rethink relationship to each other, to nature, to God, to country, to all the things that we took for granted. And nature celebrated. It was a beautiful spring. All the trees were abundantly flowering and carpets of yellow buttercups everywhere. So it was a critical time of change. So I packed my neglected watercolor backpack and um, ventured into open parks. So forgive me for starting calling that time <laughs> secretly COVID heaven. Um, John and I, my husband John, have been married for 35 years, and we've known each other for 39 years. Um, we walked parallel paths that intersected at many points, but we had, a we had different daily rituals. With all the changes that came with COVID, we decided to adapt. We decided to rethink those daily routines and we started with our morning routine because that defines our daily routine, uh, our daily, our days, basically. We will begin with, we started beginning with redesigning our morning routine in a manner that worked for both of us. First, we listed what our current morning routine was. I drank coffee, I read the news, I, um, I we, we both did some mental exercise. I did Sudoku, he did Wordle. And, um, and then we took, we, we took time to be quiet and we walked or exercised, but it was all done separately. But now, but now we wanted to do those morning routines together instead. And we decided that each of us will com compromise and we'll meet in the middle. First was location. Where do we meet together? We live together. So um, space and atmosphere is very important to me. So I made the decision that we will meet in the winter in our living room We'll have a fire, we'll have a light, a, a lit candle, we have fresh flowers. Then spring came, we moved to the front porch, and we sat under the cover of our uh, Confederate jasmine that gave us enough privacy to be in our pajamas and robes. 
John, second, John loved learning and he consumed a great amount of audible books on esoteric topics that I have no interest in reading. <laughs> so, and I'm a visual learner. I have to read and I understand better when I read. So our first compromise was to, um, to go to Kindle. Forget audiobooks, we'll go to Kindle. And, and, uh, and I will read his books and he will listen to me. So this way we were both reading the same thing. <coughs> Third, I got John addicted to coffee. So we added the morning routine, the morning coffee making ritual and um, drinking coffee to our morning ritual. We also decided that I have the ultimate veto, uh, veto power in what books we read. <laughs> so that was, Im that was important. As a new mental um, exercise, we read, we discussed, we argued, we watched YouTube simply to clarify a concept or an idea, a true rabbit trail. We started learning about quieting ourselves. We started dabbling <laughs> with guided meditation. We even tried walking meditation. I would walk on our rug and look at the carpet and just round and round. It didn't work. The morning routines, though, became so fulfilling and enjoyable that we decided to extend it. So we decided we start waking up at five. That gave us four hours every morning to be together and to know each other more. So rethinking and adopting this morning routine was transformational for us, especially that worse, there was so much in our words that didn't make sense anymore. From our concept of religion of God, of our relationship to our physical world. The simple process of rethinking that led to this new ritual in our life was an evolutionary step for us in our growth personally and as partners. It helped us to rethink and clarify our priorities, our relationships, and helped us to remove the, the rust and the cobwebs that accumulate through every day's daily life. Um, so, um, COVID heaven. Like the ancient Hebrews, we carried God in a box. They called it the ark. We called it something else. So we decided, let's open that box and release and see what happens. We started dwelling in the big question of what if. In the question of what if, it is important to have a companion on the journey. Two are better and wiser than one. It's like a rope that pulls you up when you go down too far in a rabbit trail. So Alice in Wonderland was our example. Finally, I just want to say that change is definite constant in life. We could feel its pain, but we could also move to transforming it into a growing experience. Thank you for listening. Don't sit next to Heather. <laughs> <laughs>
thanks to them very much. That was very, very brave. I appreciate it. I think we all appreciate it. We are going to be dismissed soon by Doug. And what we would like to do during What Are You Thinking, we do have some questions that Doug will put up. But we are going to invite Jeff, Lena, and Maria to stay up here. So we will be put into groups. We will do What Are You Thinking? But since this is the first time we're doing this, um, they have offered to be willing to take some of your questions if now that you've seen them do this, this is something you might want to do in the future as well. So I'm going to give uh, you back to Doug, and I'm going to ask the three of you to just stay put, and we'll see you on the other side of What Are You Thinking? And on your heart, and let's remember that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. We carry love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, because we carry divine breath. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. As you all are being dismissed, I strongly encourage you to go over to the online version of What Are You Thinking? You can find the link in the YouTube notes. Also, the password is 1417. Uh, I think it will be worth your while. We are dismissed. See you all later. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.